welcome to the Body Electric Podcast for July 10th, 2015. I uh, hope your week's been good. Mine's been a little bit crazy, and I'm actually a day late uh, getting this podcast out to you, so I apologize. Um, I wanted to put a little plug in here. This weekend, I'm going to be at the Jazz Bistro for three nights um, on Friday and Saturday with Colin Hunter, and then on Sunday uh, with Jen Sager's group. Uh, so I'm looking forward to all that. So. If any of you in downtown Toronto this weekend, uh, drop in. Uh, anyway, uh, today my guest is Rob Capaletto. Uh, this was a really fun chat. Uh, Rob's super well-spoken, and uh, he's got a very unique sound, and I think that came across really well on the uh, on the recording. And uh, he's got a highly developed concept on the guitar, and uh, I hope you find it as interesting as I did. Uh, so, uh, you can get me on Twitter, at Nate Hiltz, or you can check out my website, that's uh, www.nathanhiltz.com, and thanks a lot for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Alright, hey man. How you doing? I'm good, how are you doing? Excellent. Alright, nice apartment, nice space. Nice sunny day, and sunlight coming through the window. Yeah. Ask for more. <laughs> and a lot of guitars and amps everywhere. In cases and things. It's <laughs> yeah, right. awesome. Nice. So, um, why don't we just get right into it and play a tune? Sure. Yeah. What do you feel like? Uh, we'll do I Should Care. Start. Alright. Cool. Are we in C? Yeah. Alright, sweet. <laughs>
I mean, one thing that really studying jazz got me into was just not being so guitar-specific, right? Um, I mean, I'd say influence-wise, you know, I obviously spent a lot of time with Wes and Pat Martino and, th and those kind of players, and, you know, later on, like, Kurt Rosenwinkel and Mike Marino and Lage and all the modern guys that, that I spent a lot of time checking out as well. But, I mean, for me, it's like I spent a lot of time lifting Charlie Parker. I spent a lot of time lifting you know, early and mid-60s Coltrane stuff with his quartet and trying to figure out how to use that kind of tonality in a bunch of styles of music, mm. um, which I think is more applicable with that stuff because, you know, if you put on, like, one down, one up or something and he's playing over one chord for 18 minutes, then I can, you know, it, it's a little easier to put those lines into different contexts, right? You know, mm. to figure out how they fit on a blues gig or in rock or in R&B or whatever and just take those concepts and apply them simply because you're not taking something, you're not taking a line over giant steps that in no way is going to work over a two-chord rock tune or something, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, checking out, a, a big one for me, uh, not even in transcribing his lines, which I didn't do much of, but just in listening was, was Jerry Berganzi, just about every element of music being an aspect of tension and release that you can use. Mm. So not only playing inside and playing outside, but playing out of time and resolving it to in time or way behind the beat resolving it to in the pocket or way ahead of the beat resolving it to in the pocket um playing out of tune and resolving it to playing more in tune mm. um you know getting a little bit more uh i guess ugly tones for lack of a better word and resolving that to a more beautiful tone out of the instrument right so it's just there's a, there's a couple records he put out, I guess, in the early 2000s. Uh, Tenorist was one of them that I listened to a lot. And then a few, uh, he was releasing about a record a year, and, and there was a lot of those on there where I was just listening to it and just hearing how he uses, like, absolutely every aspect of music as tension and release. Mm. I don't have to play in tune all the time. I can use that to serve a purpose. I don't have to play in the pocket all the time. I can use pushing and pulling on that to serve a purpose, right? So mm. just, just thinking of those kind of elements... And I think that's had, like, a big effect on the way that I play guitar. Mm. So Interesting. So, like, um, you work hard at using different elements to bring variety. Like, I, I think of, like, a, a rock song that has one chord. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you don't have all that harmony to rely on to, like, to right. lead you where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So um, you're thinking almost like a composer, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of that, I guess, also came from, like, really studying Wayne Krantz a lot. Um, and just, you know, there's a lot of times when his group, you know, it's like, what, what is the chord? <laughs> right. You know, and, and it can right. shift in a bunch of different ways. And, uh, yeah, I guess just trying to improvise in, in a, almost a static harmonic setting like that, but using more than one note, suggesting different changes. Mm. Maybe it's going to be A7 and then maybe it's going to be A minor and then maybe it's A altered and then maybe it's got a major third and a flat nine in it. You know what I mean? It's mm. like you can... Keyboard players do this stuff all the time, but on guitar where we don't have a left hand to justify whatever our right hand's doing, it can be a little bit tough, and you have to, I think, think your way in and out of it a little bit differently. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that is that kind of why you like to play in a trio? like, Or is that something you do normally, the group that I saw on Monday night? Yeah, I mean, th that that is the, the normal group that I've been playing with for the better part of a year now. Um, and what are those guys' names? Uh, it's Andrew Stewart on bass and uh, Ahmed Mitchell on the drums. Um, and, I, and I've been writing a lot for that group um, lately. I mean, I wrote nothing for that group for years, mm -hmm. and uh, 
and yeah, just lately I've kind of been on a kick of writing a bunch of new tunes, and, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to keep that going and maybe put out a, a, another record with, um, and have those guys on it sometime soon. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, as you know, the, the trio format also comes out of the uh, realities of gigging in jazz clubs, which is if you have to pay more than three people, it's a lot harder than paying three mm-hmm. or less people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do like the trio as far as the amount of space that it gives me. I think it's probably the most challenging setting for a guitar player, right? Because if we're on a gig with a horn player and a piano player, it's like... You can hide. You got you a can, lot of breaks, just, too. Just like, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing trio, I'm responsible for most of the harmony. I'm responsible for pretty much all of the melodies. Um, as far as shaping tunes, shaping solos, it's like... I love playing with those guys because Andrew and, and Ahmed are really great at at bringing up solos and kind of reading my mind in what direction I, I think it's going to go and they're, and they're already there building, you know, rather than me kind of forcing and trying to play a lot and the drums aren't getting any louder or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, with a lot of the same harmonic stuff I was talking about, it's up to me to really shape the tune and shape the solo. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it, it, it offers a lot of space and with all that space comes a, a lot of responsibility, but I think... Uh, I've been working at it for long enough that I think it's it, it's getting to the point where it's actually fun now instead of stress mm. all the time. Are you, are you a Star Trek fan? No. Oh, okay, because that's a classic Spock quote. Uh, great responsibility. Great power comes great responsibility. Right, yeah. But, um, so, on Monday, were you playing... What percentage of originals and uh, and tunes... What other artists were you playing? It was all original tunes. It was all original yeah. tunes. Oh, wow. Um, I did a record uh, with Ahmed and John Maharaj on bass in 2012, and that came out of a regular gig that me and John had uh, for, for a while, where it was really just, I guess for lack of a better you know, way of describing it, it was really just like a lot of standards with backbeat. You mm-hmm. know, we were playing kind of Latin, Latin jazz tunes a little more aggressively, or we were playing like up-tempo burners, but you know, with a ton of distortion and stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we did the record, the group's repertoire ended up being kind of half some of my originals and about half standards with backbeat and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but compared to with what I'm doing now with, with Andrew and Ahmed, I kind of felt like even that was, it was like a stepping stone to kind of the music we're doing now. And the music I've been writing lately for that group um, incorporates a lot of other things. I mean, there's definitely more R&B and hip-hop influence. There's mm-hmm. definitely more kind of like modern electronic influence as far as the sound goes. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's at least as much like feel-wise, it's definitely more blues-based than it is jazz-based. But there's still, you know, all the, the improvisation and the interaction and, and the type of harmony we're using is still kind of jazz-based, mm. I would say. I felt like I was able to enjoy it on a number of different levels that mm-hmm. night, like, because there's a lot of interesting things coming into my ears for sure. But in general, I just like felt a groove, you know, and I, I could see people moving in the bar. That's sort of how I always tell right. the crowd is good, you know. Right, right. You see people just sort of like, they can't help it. They don't know that they're doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. And I also noticed that nobody was reading on that gig. Is no. that right? Yeah, that, that, that was my New Year's resolution. There's no more charts on stage ever. That's pretty amazing. That's yeah. kind of a, I almost feel like that's a rock thing in a way. I feel like a lot of gigs you go to when you're playing these kind of difficult tunes, people bring have to bring the music you know? right that's a that's a significant thing i think that's unique well i mean a lot of times like we're not even playing the tune the way we played it last gig and i feel like we can go more places if that safety net and that tether of the sheet music there is gone mm-hmm. right um yeah i mean part of that is andrew's elephant like memory that just somehow i remember the first rehearsal we did 
um, this was really the first time we got together to play my original tunes and I had sent everybody kind of a Google Drive of a couple charts and some audio recording. And we got there and Andrew's like, oh man, I forgot all my charts at home. And this was at the rehearsal factory and it's like, oh, I live two blocks away, I'll go get it. He's like, no, nah, let me see if I remember it. And I think he forgot one chord and one bridge the whole night. So it's like keeping, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I mean, even for me, I did a gig at the Rex years ago and I remember my uncle coming up to me on the set break and he said, yeah, it sounds good, but why do you need to read your own tunes? Mm -hmm. I said, that's a very good point. Why do I need to read point. my own tunes? That's a very good point. That's cool. So. And um, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, your writing process, your inspiration for writing. Like, how do you okay. get into the mood, and or how do you do it? Yeah, um, I've been writing, I guess this goes hand in hand with the no sheet music thing. Like, um, when I was writing for the record, uh, I guess it was three years ago now, I was doing everything in Sibelius and trying to do proper charts and, you know, not only chord symbols, but often bass lines and voicings spelled out, and this is what the melody is, just so everybody has... You know, because coming, coming out of jazz school and doing a master's in composition and that stuff, that's how you are a proper band leader. You have your charts in Sibelius and everything is spelled out. You can give those charts to anybody and they see all the elements of the tune. Um, but trying to get away from sheet music, I've been just composing using Logic lately. Um, really? This is a speaker simulator interface on top of my amp. And a lot of times, like, I'll ju that's just always hooked up. So if I'm playing, all I do is I hit record and I have a melody in my head. I don't need to play it a thousand times and think about writing it out. I just play it and hit record and then there it is. And then, you know, maybe I'll plug in the bass and try and figure out some harmony under that. But I typically write, um, a lot of times I'll have, like, an idea for a groove or a vibe for the tune. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always melody first. And then what can I do with the harmony? Mm -hmm. Um... And, and yeah, like just, just what you were saying about crowds getting into it. Like I was looking at a lot of music I like in different styles, right? So like looking at a lot of hip hop tunes I like, looking at a lot of both, you know, classic, like, you know, Art Blakey era and Wayne Shorter, you know, Blue Note era jazz that I'm really into that I like. And also looking at rock records I think are great and looking at, um, you know, neo-soul and R&B records that I think are great. And I said, so all these kinds of music are very different, but in each style, there's artists I really like and artists I don't like. And then it really just came down to me for there being common elements. You know, between regardless of what style of music it is, for me, I feel like there needs to be certain anchor elements. So if there's a really simple, catchy melody, I can do whatever I want with the chords and it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Or if there's a really simple, catchy melody, I can make the song in 15 and it doesn't matter because you don't notice that it's in 15. Right. Um... Or if the groove is really solid, I can put, you know, maybe a more complicated head over top of it or something like that, right? So just at, at any point, there's a, there's an element of the tune that you can relax into versus when I think of tunes I used to write where, you know, it's like time signatures changing all over the place and complicated melodies and shifting meters and shifting mm. pulses and, and complicated chord changes. And it's like, well, mm. I mean, I, mean, I know a lot of, jazz musicians that find that hard to relate to so what's everybody else thinking mm. you know well i think of someone like uh duke ellington or even count basie and uh to me like it's all the balance of consonants and dissonance right and that's rhythmic or melodic right really. yeah yeah in terms of like uh you know having something that's you can have something that's really pretty and straight ahead but there might be something that's wild and weird yeah in yeah. there but it's it's just the right amount of spice or right. herbs, like when you're cooking or whatever. Yeah, and there always needs to be that little bit of grind in there, otherwise it's just boring, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, so. obviously, yeah. I love playing with that. Um, 
Okay, well, why don't we play another tune then? Sure. Yeah, anything, yeah. anything you're thinking of? Oh, man, I don't know. Um, what would I like to hear you on? I'd kind of like to hear you on a blues. Okay. Would you be into just playing like a medium, like maybe a little up from where we just were? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is there a, a head you like? Um, yeah, we could... Uh, Do uh, relax on a Camarillo? Yeah, sure. Butter. See? Yeah. Nice. Uh, we'll see how much and just so everyone listening knows, um, Rob is going to be taking the first solo and the uh, taking the melody on the tunes. But I might play this one with you. Okay. If that's cool. Yeah, you, you may uh, you may cover up any holes in my memory right and now. And you may cover up holes in my memory. That's that's how people <laughs> have heads work. Great. <laughs> uh, so like, one, two, one. Thank you. 
shitting the bed on that uh, Ian melody, but you had it. Everybody makes mistakes, and I think uh, thinking people don't make mistakes is a fallacy. Of course, of course. <laughs> All right, yeah, man. So you really get around on that guitar. I try. I don't yeah. know. It, it, this is kind of kicking my ass today with the heavy strings on it. I've uh, I've become a baby over the years. I went from using thirteens like five years ago to having tens on everything except this. Mm -hmm. I did. I did the same thing. Actually, I used to do thirteens, and real proud of that. Actually. Right. And uh, now it, I'm it's very manly, manly isn't it? It's, it's very manly. It's like a real like, lumberjack. Oh, I thing. use the 13s, you know. What do you have on yours? You oh, know? man, your action's so low. How, <laughs> yeah. how do you even play this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, man. It got to the point where it's like, do I want to be able to actually play guitar for a long period every day? Or, mm -hmm. you know, and not have my calluses ripping apart and, you know, my forearm pain and things? Or mm -hmm. do I want to be able to... I mean, because... At the end of the day, I mean, you can get your technique to be as effortless as possible, but I mean, a heavier tension string is still a heavier tension string. Mm -hmm. And if it's one of those days, whether, you know, in the studio or long rehearsals or on tour, or whether you have a couple gigs or something, and you end up playing for like eight hours that day, it takes its toll, I think, mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's not even to mention the, the sound thing. I mean, I, I feel like every guitar has a certain string that it wants. Right. You know, yep. and you find that string, and then you found the, the sound for that guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, there's a there's a lot of articulation, a lot of um, a lot of um, dynamics in your lines. Mm -hmm. So what's going on with that? Because that's that's not every everybody does that, you know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm just part of it comes from from players that I've listened to, you know. Uh -huh. uh, I think the articulation thing definitely, like, if we have to point fingers, comes from. Uh, old George Benson and Pat Martino. Mm -hmm. I say old George Benson, but I, I mean, even current George Benson, if you hear him now, like, playing on, on standards or something, and, you know, not trying to make money, he, he, he's, he's still a ridiculously good player. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of younger guys uh, in, in the States that, that have that thing going on, too. Um, there's a great gospel R&B guitar player, Isaiah Sharkey, who's a hell of a jazz player as well, that really has that, that George kind of right-hand attack. Um, and I think a, a lot of it is how you approach the string and the angle you're holding your pick at more so than it is playing hard, because I'm not playing very hard, even when it sounds like I am, right? Right. Um, a lot of times, if it, I, I'm definitely playing about a third as hard as I used to, because I listen to recordings from myself, uh, of myself from, you know, maybe five or so years ago, and it's like I'm just killing the guitar in the worst possible way, right? Just string slapping against frets and... I think there's a point where, like, you pick so hard that it chokes the string, right? You're putting in more energy than the string can respond with. Um, yeah, I mean, any time it sounds... Like, a lot of the articulation comes from being really light with the left hand, too, right? Like, if I'm playing... Uh, oh, I'll just play a scale. If I lighten up the left hand... Sound, it sounds like I'm picking harder. I'm actually playing quieter, but it sounds louder. You know, right, and, and right. the amp and everything compensates for that. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love those tight, clear sounds that you're getting. Yeah, that, that's a lot of that's being really short with the left hand and just the angle of the pick. You know? oh, okay. Um, but I, I, I find that works. And I, I saw a little video that you put online. It was some lick or something like that. And uh, you said this one thing, you're like, it's all alternate picks. Right. No cheating, you said. Yeah. And yeah. actually, that made me start thinking about alternate picking, and like, it actually changed the way I've been practicing my technique lately. I'm like, right. okay, I'm just going to do strict alternate picking for a while. And I noticed when you were just playing now that it was, in fact, strict alternate picking. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, for me, it's, 
Um, yeah, I, I listened to the one that you did with Trev, uh, I guess a couple, it was about two weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know he's been really into the, uh, the economy picking thing, mm-hmm. you know, like following essentially the shape of the fingering and the shape of the line on the guitar. And that allows certain execution um, things to be possible. For me, it maybe it comes from from playing drums and, and, and other stuff, but for me, it's like my right hand is always rhythmically linked. Um, it's always moving down on a quarter note, right? right? And it's always moving up on an eighth note. So if I'm playing something that's three upbeats in a row, it's going to be three upstrokes in a row. If I'm playing something that's four quarter notes in a row, it's going to be four downstrokes in a row. Um, and for me, it just takes, because I mean, as obviously as, as you know on the guitar, it's like, just take something like a minor third. There's so many different ways we can play this, right? Um, I can play this. I can play it here. Right? So, I mean, am I going to pick it differently depending on what string I choose to play it on? Which could really depend on where my last line ended. Like, in the middle of a solo, for me, it's like that, 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 the way that I think about everything, that just seems like more technique to stay on top of, right? Whereas, if I know regardless of what string it's on you know if i'm playing on the a string the next note could be on the a string further up or it could be on the d string or it could be on the d or the high e if it's an upbeat it's an upstroke if it's a downbeat it's a downstroke and that just takes that out of it it's like my right hand is linked to the pulse and Mm -hmm. and not to what my fingers are doing right right. so i mean you know that has its own challenges you know when you get into some string skipping stuff obviously you know like kind of stuff it's like obviously it's harder because you're physically moving your hand further than if i just did two downstrokes which is the way my arm was moving right um but i just find rhythmically it feels better to me Mm -hmm. you know and and for what i want to hear rhythmically it just seems to sit in the pocket better and and that's Mm. that's always kind of worked for me so Mm. and um when when it's a triplet or like other odd numbers like fives and yeah sevens, those are kind of wild thing. cards sometimes does it feel does it feel good as it turns around like is that something that your brain kind of adjusts to as it turns around with the um odd grouping yeah i i, I mean with something like a triplet I, it, it's good that you asked that because that you know groups of twos and fours and eights and sixteens and everything obviously fit into what i just said when it's a triplet or something it's it's kind of a wild card um, right. So sometimes I'll, I'll end up like resolving a triplet and having to do two downstrokes or resolving a triplet and having to do two ups or something, right? Um, and I mean, all, obviously all of this is like when I want to hear a slur, none of that matters, mm-hmm. right? Like if I, if I want to hear something like that, obviously, then uh, I'm, I'm going to use a rest stroke or something to get across mm-hmm. the string. Um, but yeah, with odd groupings, sometimes it, I, I find myself hacking them all as quick downstrokes, so at least I know where I'm going to get out. Right, you know? right. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's just whatever it is. If it's like a sextuplet or something, you're good, right? Because it comes out even. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But yeah, with like quintuplets and things. Like, if it's groups of fives and sevens, I often find myself either playing all downstrokes or I shift in my head that I'm thinking of a new tempo over the old tempo. And I'm like phrasing in... I, I've found my new uh, downbeat in the quintuplet or something. You know right, what I mean? And then right. I'm shifting back to the tempo when I come back. So mm-hmm. I yeah. see. I see. So, um, do you practice technique? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, a, as a kid, I practiced a lot of technique because you had to practice guitar to be good and practicing technique is easy because it's like a sport, right? It is. You know, you, yeah. Like there, there's a set number of things you do to a set speed and it either sounds right or it doesn't sound right. And, you know, um, I probably spent more time on that when I should have been spending more time on harmonic things and ear training and stuff. Um. I mean, technique never really came easy, but it was something that was fun to work on. 
I mean, there, there's a lot of guitar players that I see that can do all kinds of stuff that I can't do. Um, but that said, I mean, I feel like, I guess it comes out because I find on gigs I do all kinds of stuff I could never do when the two of us are just sitting here. You know, like kind of in the moment and with the momentum of the solo and with the rhythm section and everything, it's like, I'll go for something I've never tried before. Mm. And if I tried to do it right now, it would be a catastrophe. Mm. But it's like on, on the gig, I guess just with the energy and everything happening, I somehow, you know, it comes out and you rise to the occasion on the gig. I, I, I feel like, personally, I feel like the study of uh, technique allows that kind of thing to right. happen. Yeah. Because then, you know, if you're, you have your technique to depend on, then you can just be with your ears and let stuff come out. Right. You know? I mean, a, a big part of technique, I think not a lot of people talk about, though, is just how it relates to rhythm. Um, like, for example, w w when, I, uh, when I first started working on, on time and everything, I, I remember Al Henderson told me, he's like, just clap with a metronome for, you know, the first part of your practice schedule for every day, whether it's five minutes or ten minutes, put a metronome on really slow and clap with it until you can make it disappear most of the time. Um, and I did that, and I did that for, you know, a whole summer. I did that for, like, maybe six months or more. Um, and then I was like, okay, great, my time's good. And then I picked up a guitar and I tried to play a scale with the metronome at the same speed. And the amount of time it takes for me to move my hand, the pick to touch the string, the pick to go through the string, release it, and that sound to come out of the top of the guitar or the amp is different than the amount of time it takes one hand to do this against the other one, right? Right. So it's like I had to find out what, you know, adjusting latency time. Like, what is that? Or, right. Like, what do I have to do to get that to come out exactly on the center of the beat where the metronome is? And then the hard thing is, what do I have to do to get that to come out behind the beat, or on top of the beat, or whatever, right? Like, when I was studying a lot of Pat Martino and, and Benson stuff, like, those guys are so on top of the time. It's like, you know, that, that guitar pluck note is happening before the cymbal and maybe even before the bass, right? Oh, like yeah. It's, it's right on top there. And then when I started, you know, playing on hip-hop and R&B gigs, it's like, that is exactly the opposite of where the guitar needs to go. And it took a long time to just be able to sit behind the beat naturally and comfortably play there and comfortably hear there and comfortably have my technique be able to you know execute there and it's one thing mm -hmm. playing parts with that feel it's another thing improvising with that feel right and actually hearing back there and it's like yeah it, it's just being able to control where i'm playing on the beat through the instrument which isn't as easy as it may sound mm -hmm. i think you know yeah well how did you how did you develop the ability to hear on top behind and on the beat because i feel like that's a big mystery for a lot of young players and old players. Maybe it's because my ears aren't good enough or something, but I listen to a lot of music at like 20, 30, 40% speed. Really? I'll put it into a slowdown program and I'll like listen to a tune or an album or a passage or whatever it is that I'm wanting to learn or, or even just interested and I'll listen to it at half tempo. Ah. Um, and that makes a lot of things really clear. Or I'll listen to it at, like at 20% speed, you can really hear whether the bass is coming before the cymbal or whether the guitar is coming before the keyboard or how, you know, where the vocal sits. Like, you can really hear a lot of that stuff. Um, so yeah, just listening to music slowly, I think, really made a lot of that clear. Recording, I recorded every gig I did for about two and a half years, and I would always make myself listen to it the next morning, regardless of how well or poorly I thought it went, right? Which was torturous a lot of the times. But it's like my drive to work the next day is last night's gig playing, and I have to listen to it. Hmm. Uh, and that was a great way of practicing, because it's like, wow, that felt good, but where I'm actually playing isn't what it feels like in my body when I'm doing it sometimes, you know? Mm. And where it sounds good might feel terrible at first, and you just have to get used to that that's the new normal. If you're going to play back, you have to be able to feel the beat back there. Right, right. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think those are the main things for, for that. There was one other thing that was just in my head, but it seems to have evaded me, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know where it's gone. Um, and I, I was hoping that you might um, just tell people a little bit about the guitar that you're playing today and maybe your other main guitar, that PRS. Yeah, yeah. the, the guitar I'm playing today, this is a guitar that um, a builder in Rhode Island named Mark Campalone built for me. Um, it's an all-solid wood, carved, arch-top. Uh, it's a smaller body, so it's a 16-inch, and it's a thin depth as well. And I saved up and spent a ton of cash on this and had it built when I thought I was just going to play traditional jazz guitar. Mm -hmm. um, this guitar doesn't really see a lot of gigs these days other than, you know, jobbing gigs or uh, stuff like that. Um, but it is the guitar that I practice the most on. Mm -hmm. Just because I think, it, you know, without, without plugging it in, I just think... <laughs> plays, you know, if I didn't have these super heavy strings on it, it plays like an electric guitar. It has a great acoustic sound. It's not a beast like like that Taylor acoustic I have or mm -hmm. something, which I could can, can barely get around on, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I spent a lot of time practicing on this, and, I, and it's a great guitar. It's one that's never never going to get sold. It's never going anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I love the blonde. Yeah. It's very nice. It's funny because it was, uh, it was really light-colored when I got it. And he said, do you want me to tint the stain? And I said, yeah, I tinted so it'll go yellow. And he's like, uh, you know what? If you want it to be kind of a lighter shade, like kind of a golden color, he's like, I'm not going to tint it because it's going to go orange. So when he shipped me this guitar, it was white. And sitting by windows like this with no curtains, it's gone really, really dark in a few years. Which it's amazing. Is, which is nice. Yeah, the lacquer's just gone totally dark on it. Um, yeah, you can, like, see... It probably doesn't translate so well in the recording, but, like, you can <laughs> even see, like, where suns hit binding and not, ah, like, that color difference between right. them. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, the, the main guitar that I've used for pretty much every gig since I got it in 2011, it's a PRS Modern Eagle. It's a solid body. Um, the main thing between, main difference between this and a lot of other PRS guitars, or other guitars in general, is that the neck is solid rosewood on it. Um, so it's just a, it's a really dense neck, which I think adds to the sustain of the guitar. It's got a little bit less mid-range than most electrics tend to have. Um, yeah, it's beat mm. to hell. It's got pickups in it that were made for me by, by a guy in Seattle named named Wolf McLeod. He's got a company called Wolf Tone Pickups. Mm -hmm. And these are pretty much as quiet as single coils. Um, they're, they're really super low output. One coil wound a lot heavier than the other. It's it's just a really clear sounding guitar that just does everything I want it to do. Mm -hmm. Every pot and piece of wire and capacitor and pickup and everything's been replaced. Um, right. The bridge Paul Reed Smith gave me off his own guitar clinic a few years ago wild he looked at my guitar and saw the dents and scratches and he's like are you happy with it and i said yeah it's great and he said could it be better i said i don't know could it and he said go get me my guitar and a set of wire cutters and he cut his strings off and gave me this prototype bridge off his guitar that's incredible is awesome. that his signature on the back of the yeah, neck he as well? he, when he did that he signed that and gave oh it to him. wow but that's yeah really it's, cool it's about due for a refret and uh but yeah this guitar is is, is another one it's like it's it was a huge step in my playing, just having such a detailed sounding instrument, you know, mm. where where everything's really open. It's huge from top to bottom. There's lots of bass. There's lots of treble. There's great sounding open mid-range frequencies. And, uh, yeah. Mm. Cool. That's great. So, uh, one last thing I was going to ask you about, um, uh, about being a sideman. Sure. And, uh, you know, what kind of sideman things you've been doing, because I know you're, you're a very busy guy, mm -hmm. you know, and what kind of things you really love, love to do and, and what it's like doing that in Toronto. Yeah, I, I uh, have been playing with a lot of singers lately, mm -hmm. um, whether it's, you know, R&B or kind of more 
not really rock, but kind of more like heavier end of pop, um, or, or, or even some country stuff and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try and just approach a sideman gig as just doing whatever is going to make the band leader sound better. You mm -hmm. know? Not trying to bring my own stuff, not trying to bring, I think this tune should go this way. You know, like, unless it's the kind of thing where somebody's clearly asking for your input or wants you to be the musical director or something like that. It's like, if it's, if, if I'm the sideman on a gig, it's show up, have all your gear working, be early, <laughs> mm -hmm. know the tunes, learn all the tunes at home. Mm -hmm. For me, yeah. it was always, uh, just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. That yeah. was an important one for me. Yeah. yeah. Don't speak unless spoken to. And I mean, these yeah. are all lessons we learn from making mistakes on gigs, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Th th this is stuff you yeah. learn over time. But, uh, and have you found that your sideman work has put different demands on your kind of guitar playing and shaped the way that you've, uh, focused on the guitar yeah I, I mean it's definitely led me into learning and getting really into a lot of styles of music that maybe I didn't you know listen to or didn't come naturally um, it's it gets your tune learning game up and gets different standards together I think mm -hmm. um, I don't mean standards in, in, in songs I mean just like what constitutes as good enough when you're learning a song or learning a part um, I think the the jazz school trap and I try and instill this at most of my students at York is like kind of knowing a melody off a lead sheet and kind of knowing the chord changes isn't really learning the tune. Like, if there's no recording that you're referencing or something like that, you know? Um, and the simpler the tunes get, the more important that stuff get. Because, like, okay, this is in 4-4 four, four and it's two chords. It's like, well, do you know... If there's no backup vocals on the gig, what backup vocals come in at the bridge? Maybe you want to hint at that on the guitar. Mm -hmm. Or if there's no keyboard player, what are the keys doing under the guitar? What is the actual guitar part? Because it's probably not just the two chords. What, you know, counter lines are the guitars playing against the melody or something like that? Mm. You know? So just learning things. And, and beyond that, it's like, what's the time feel? What's the tone sound like? Mm. Just getting all, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, the, the stuff that's not just let's kind of learn what this is and blow on it for 15 minutes. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, I think we should play one more tune. But cool, before man. we do... Um, uh, What's your website? Uh, it's just robcapoletto.com, Rob with two B's and Capoletto with two of everything. That's two of that. everything, yeah. <laughs> and um, and w do you have any kind of exciting gigs coming up that you'd like to let people know about? Uh, I, the next time my trio is playing is going to be at the end of this month on uh, the 31st at Poetry Jazz Cafe, and that's a Friday night. Great. Uh, yeah, we got the 9.30 to 12.30 slot there. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that's with Andrew and Ahmed, and it's, it's always great to get on stage with those guys, especially mm. lately we've kind of... Uh, We've developed a rapport with each other and a rapport with the material. <laughs> so right. yeah. I think every everything's kind of working the way it should right mm. now. And poetry's a great room. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a cool little space. I've been playing there pretty much since it opened. And, uh, oh, nice. I think the vibe of that is definitely part of what shaped the way my trio sounds and got it away from just playing so straight ahead. Because mm. the, the room didn't want that, it seems. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> interesting how the places you play like affects what you do. It does, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, I mean... You've probably played as, as many of these as I have where you're playing, you know, somebody wants standards on a gig where nobody in the room cares about standards and they're all talking over you. And mm -hmm. Let alone after solos, nobody's clapping after tunes end and things like that. Mm. And you just kind of feel like, why am I doing this here? Mm. You know, so well, it's... With all this stuff, like all this technique, all the ideas, all the, you know, all the ways to practice, uh, we forget that we're entertainers sometimes. Yeah. That's what we do, right. you know? And I feel like I want to be able to go into any room and not compromise my artistic integrity but still be able to make people have a good time right 
Yeah, there's, there's no point in, I think, sometimes sneering at the audience, you know, because you have to defend your art or whatever you think yeah. you're doing, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, that that said, you're not just there to be the human jukebox and play whatever the drunks want to hear. Yeah, but, uh, on a unicycle while juggling. Yeah. With a monkey on your shoulder with two cymbals. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, I'll switch guitars for this song, see if I'm any happier. Um, yeah, let's just play something simple. Do you want to do maybe uh, Alone Together? Alone together, great, cool. Do you want to check tuning or anything like that? Sounds pretty good. Sounds okay? Yeah. Uh, we'll do, uh... We'll start it off with, like, a G vamp. Like okay. Like a sus vamp. Sure. Do you want to go back to that at any point in the... Uh, I'll just do it, maybe just at the beginning and the end. We'll do it that way. Cool. Uh, one, a two. A one, two, three, four.
Dude, thank you so much. Thanks, thanks so much for coming yeah, by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great to play with you. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks a lot for listening to the Body Electric Podcast. Uh, you've been listening to Nathan Hiltz. Again, my website is nathanhiltz.com. Next week, I have a uh, very talented and young guitarist. I think he's about 23 years old, Sam Dickinson. Uh, he's amazing. And if you haven't heard of him yet, uh, you should check definitely check him out uh, because he's pretty stunning the things that he's doing on the guitar. Okay, so thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.